Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. We are going all over the Bible today. I got to apologize. I'm in teacher mode, okay? We are in the middle of a, of a Vivid College intensive course. All day yesterday, we were gathered together, Vivid College, we have uh, people from across our church learning about worship in the Bible. And over the course of one jam-packed day, we looked at the theme of worship from Genesis through to Malachi, the entire Old Testament. I talked a lot. We, we, we spent a lot of time, we crushed a, fruit, a few Red Bulls together, and uh, we took a bunch of notes, but it's got me in teacher mode today. So I'm going to keep on in that vein later today and then tomorrow we're concluding our Vivid College course. So there's still going to be a whole bunch more talking later today, but uh, that has nothing to do neither here nor there for those who are not enrolled. I will tell you this, that this fall, if you want to be a part of Vivid College, we have courses going every semester of the year. So in the fall we have a course, in the spring, and then again in the summer as we continue to develop and grow in faith and understanding of God's Word together. But I'm in teacher mode today, and so we are going to be all over the Bible and uh, trust that God's going to speak to us about fruitfulness. Can someone say fruitful? This summer we have been in a theme called fruitful, looking at what it is to abide in Christ, to be in close proximity with God over the course of time, and to see fruitfulness developing in our life. Fruit that reflects the sweet nature of of God. Earlier this week, I, I took my family on a little bit of a road trip. So Jennifer and I and our kids, we drove up uh, through the province to places that we grew up when we were young. Both Jennifer and I grew up in the interior, and so we visited our old stomping grounds, and we visited some family, and uh, we, we saw some places that were significant, and, and it was good to get away. Can someone agree with that? Like there's something good about vacation? And then as we returned home and we got home, oh my goodness, there's something good about coming home, isn't there? I think it's both end. It's good to get away. Oh, but it's good to get back in your own bed. It's good to go try something new, but it's good to come back to the thing that you know and that you've chosen and that you love. So we, we got some good time away, and then we got some good time when we returned home. One of the things that happened over the course of our time away, we were only gone four days, but in that time... We've got these large blackberry bushes in our backyard, and those blackberry bushes went from almost ready to really ready, okay? It was like the fruit has an indication that something is happening, but it's not, not good to eat yet To these things are ripe. In fact, I brought a picture of the first fruits of our crop, the very first fruits. Check that out. Oh my goodness, that's a big bowl. We, we got buckets and buckets of blackberries. I'm pretty excited about it. Even if you don't like blackberries, can you look up here with me and just say, my goodness. Today, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. That's the title of the message, my goodness. We're talking about goodness today. As we continue in Paul's narrative, he, he says to the church of Galatia and by extension to us that when we walk in the Spirit and we walk in accordance with the Spirit and we submit our lives to the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit begins to develop in us and that our life begins to look like a life, a life of love. That joy begins to mark the way we live our life. That peace begins to be the, the, the support, the undergirding of the way we live our life. And who patience, patience, it comes along with, with the whole gamut that we grow in love and joy, peace and patience. Last week we looked about kindness. Not, not just doing what is right in a cultural situation or, or a societal moment, but doing what is best for the people around us. And today we're talking about goodness. In the very same manner that I saw this fruit in, in my backyard go from almost ready to ripe, I got to testify, I'm seeing that in the lives of people in our church, that there is a mature, maturing and a ripening of fruit in our lives. That like the, the seed of joy is starting to develop into the fruit of joy. That the seed of patience as we walk in proximity with God over time is actually starting to look like the, the fruit of patience. And I'm anticipating and believing for the very same thing with, with goodness. We use the word good a lot, don't we? 
We use the word good a lot. Like, you, you start to listen for it and note it in conversation. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Oh, that's good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Good. It happens a lot. Repeat it. And we use good so much that we even use it to describe something that's bad. Like, like, like this. How was it? Mm, yeah, it was good. Does that sound good to you? Like, we use good to describe varying degrees of things from terrible to great. We use good in, in a lot of ways. Like, like, there are some in the room, you, you rate things either five stars or one star, and if there was a zero star, you'd use that. But there are some, you're like, oh, that was terrible service. I'm going to give it four stars because I want them to know that, that though it was very good, it was not great. Have you ever read people's comments on things? Have you ever like actually read reviews and they're like, you know, four and a half stars, incredibly disappointed with both the service and the quality of the food. It wasn't timely and it was very expensive. And you're like, how does like four stars align with that description? Because we tend to, to rate things as, as good. But when the Bible uses the word good, it's meaning good in the way it was intended as in excellent, wholesome, perfect. When the Bible speaks of goodness, it's not using it in a Canadian way. It was good. Not great, but good. No, it's saying things are either good or bad. Those are the two extremes. And so when the Bible says good, it means good. And the thing about goodness is it can be subjective, can't it? Like there are some things I think are good that you might not think are good. This morning, on my way to church, uh, I stopped for a little bit of a coffee. I was coming in early, and I thought, man, I'm going to just get refreshed. And so I got a nice coffee, a nice sparkling water. I, I took a picture of it. Why? Because it was, looked so good. Look at that. Ooh, that looks good. Unless you don't like coffee, then it doesn't look so good. Because what I see as good, you might subjectively disagree with and say, that's good for you. It's just not good for me. When the Bible speaks of good, it's not talking about subjective goodness. It's, it's talking about the standard of good. Great, perfect, wholesome, and excellent. So when Paul is challenging us that our, our growth with God, time with the Lord, will lead to a fruit of goodness in our life, he's not saying we will become the subjective preference of some and not of others. Because some will say it's good and some won't. He's not saying that, uh, that will be, you know, varying degrees. It will get a little bit better. He is saying that excellence will become to work out in our life, a greatness to the way we live that will just be objectively good. It's funny that, that goodness we can see is objective, but when something is really not good, it's not even subjective. You know what I mean? When there's something not good happening, it begins to result in a really evident way. I, I, I've told you before, I, I commute nearly full-time on a, a moped, a little 50cc scooter. And of late, it just hasn't been running very well. It hasn't been performing up to the standard that I have grown to expect as I zip my way through traffic. I was telling someone the, the, at, at a shop the other day as I was picking up some parts to do some maintenance, they're like, what kind of scooter? I told him, he's like, wow, that must look really small on you. And I'm like, yeah. And I looked down, this guy was a lot more diminutive in stature. I'm like, what are you saying to this? He's like, that must look very small on a person like you. And so I, I took it home. I opened it up. I thought, it's just not running and performing to the way I expect. So I got to anticipate that there's something wrong. Like something is not good. And that's why there are results that are not up to the standard I've grown to expect. And sure enough, as I opened it up, and one of the things I was going to do is change the air filter. Uh, the old air filter just wasn't looking so good. You can just check this out. Now, you might not even know cars, but, but all of those lines there that are, are, are black are supposed to be bright orange. Okay? That filter is not good. There, there were negative results because something undercover wasn't Good. In the same manner, in your life and mine, over time, when something is not good on the sur underneath the surface, the results in our life begin to not really meet the standard. You know what's true of this, this filter? 
that didn't happen in a moment. That didn't happen and, and go from good to not good. In fact, over the course of time, it just began to deteriorate. And because the results were just diminutive, small, and, and, and the variance was only by a degree, we can kind of become used to something that is truly not good. Now, I hope today, looking to the Word of God, is that we would be shook just a little bit. That we would find ourselves maybe self-examining somewhat and saying, are there things in my life that are not good? Are there results in my life that I'm not seeing as a result of a lack of goodness? Not, not just subjective preference, but a lack of genuine excellence that things are not in place the way that they ought to be. In order to do that, we have to look at what the Bible describes as good. And here's the challenge. The Bible uses the word good 749 times. So I got a choice to make. Either I preach a 749 point message, and the challenge of that does sound exciting, or I try to curate a little bit and and cut it down a little bit and try to help us to, to understand an overview of what goodness is describing. If we're trying to get the results that Paul talks about, a fruitful life of ripening, developing fruit that reflects the nature of God, then we need to know what we're aiming for. We need to know what goodness is. And and interestingly, the word goodness, used 749 times in the Bible, is actually used very consistently throughout. Now you might know and understand that the Bible was written by multiple authors over hundreds of years in three different languages, and it fits together in perfect symmetry and harmony. And, And yet the word goodness is not just preferred by one author over another. It's not just listed in one place and not in another. In fact, I've got a little chart here. I'd love for you to check this out. This is one of the more nerdy aspects of my life that I'm exposing to you right now, but it's all good, okay? Check this out. This is the, the, the place, like the shot selection, if you will, of the word goodness or good throughout Scripture. The top right is the beginning of Genesis The bottom left is the end of Revelation. You will see that consistently throughout Scripture from first to last, the Bible is talking about goodness. It's describing what is good for you and I. So if we could, let's try to establish a little bit of what it's saying. Let let me start with you in, uh, in the book of Genesis, okay? In the book of Genesis, it describes the way God created the heavens and the earth. It says, in the beginning God was, so before time, space, or manner, there was God. And, and before time, space, and matter came into existence by, from the word of his mouth, when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we have time, space, and matter, God spoke, and he created, and he defined and described his creation as good. On day one, he said, let there be light, and there was. And he looked at light, and he goes, light is good. I approve of light. Light is exactly the way I designed it to be. It's good. And then on on day two, he created land and separated it from water. And and, and the description of both land and and water, like the seas and the land, he looked and he's like, land and water are good. That's exactly the way I designed for land and water to be. It's exactly what I had in mind when I spoke it. And it, it happened exactly according to my word. And then on day three, he spoke seeds into existence, seeds and seed-bearing plants. And he said, let there be, and there was. And he looked at plants, and he said, plants are good. They're exactly the way I intended them to be when I spoke plants into existence. And on day four, he spoke to the light, and he said, hey, I'm going I'm to just divide you up a little bit. I'm going to make sun and moon, stars that that fill the whole universe. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that God knows each star and he calls it by name. And he looked upon the vastness of of billions upon billions of stars in an ever-increasing universe that we can't even get a handle on how big it is. And he looked about it all and he's like, the universe is good. It's exactly how I intended it to be when I created it. And then focusing back in on earth, the, 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 the center point of his creativity, he goes, you know what? That sea and those land, they need to start to be filled with things. So he created birds and he created fish. The next day he created animals from like the single-celled organism up to the, 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 the elephants and the dinosaurs. And he filled the earth and he looked and he went, wow, animals are good. 
And then he created mankind. And the Bible says he reached down and he took dirt, pre-existing material from the earth, and he breathed life into it. That's our origin story. We're all a bunch of dirt bags filled with the, the breath of God. And he breathed life into to mankind, making us in his image. And, and, and he goes, wow. <sighs> mankind is very good. Like the universe is good, but have you seen humans? Very good. And he observed and witnessed Adam walking in isolation and loneliness upon the earth that he had created in the universe that he had designed amongst the animals that he had fashioned and Adam was alone with no suitable helper and he goes, that's not good. The first description of something not being good is loneliness. He goes, no, nah, it's not good for a man to be alone. That's not the way I designed it. That's not the way I purposed and intended it. And so he creates Eve from Adam and he goes, that's good. This, this means this, that God is the definition and the decider of what good and bad is. Before time, space, and matter, God knew what uh, existed. God knew what good was. And so he determines what is good and what isn't. He has the say on what is good and what isn't good because he's witnessed goodness and the lack thereof. And so if God says something is good, he's not speaking in variations. He's speaking of excellence and of his creation. He goes, that's good. Not only is, is God the, de the describer of goodness, he's also the definition of goodness. Look what it says in the book of Exodus chapter 33. We'll focus here for a few moments. Exodus chapter 33. In this story, uh, Moses is being called to a challenge. Moses is being called to go where no one had gone before and to lead uh, uniquely the people God had called him. And, and Moses says, hey God, unless you go with me, I don't want to do this. I just want you to know that, that that's not a faithless prayer. That's a really faith-filled prayer. Moses is like, why would I do something alone when I could do something with you instead? Look what, look what he says. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 14, God responds to Moses. He goes, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with me, please don't send me. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And then the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. So Moses boldly, emboldened by God's comfort level with him says, now show me your glory. God responds to Moses' huge faith-filled request, and he says this, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I just want you to, get to, to grab this. Moses says, God, I, I couldn't imagine accomplishing anything without you. Can you go with me? And God goes, of course I will. Of course I will. I love being with you, and I know your name. And then Moses says, well, can you show me? He goes, yes, I will. I'm gonna show you what I'm like and I'm gonna speak my name to you. So I already know your name. I want you to know my name. I already know what you're like. I want you to know what I'm like. And how does he describe his, his presence? By all his goodness. His presence is goodness. The experience and revelation of the goodness of God and goodness in and of itself is a revelation of God's nature and character. He wants us to understand what he's like. He, wants, he goes, I am the God who shows mercy upon whom I show mercy and compassion on whom I show compassion. And then he describes this. I just want you to see it because it's a prophetic pointing towards Jesus and those always get me excited. Verse 21, the Lord says this. I'll start at verse 20. He says, hey, when I pass you by, you can't see my face for no one who sees my face can live. He goes, like, if you see my face, you are gonna see what future emojis look like, the one where the brains are spilling out. It's not good for you, it's just gonna blow your mind, okay? But I'll, I'll let you see my back as I pass by. That's enough. That's enough goodness for today. It'll be all the goodness you can handle. And so then the Lord says this, but there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. 
Oh my goodness, this is a picture of Jesus. God says this, as my goodness passes you by, I've given you a place near me where you can stand upon a rock. We know Jesus is the rock uh, upon which we stand. That Jesus, the stone the builder rejected, has become a cornerstone upon which he is building his church. Jesus is the center point of God's creation in this world. The, not just the, 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 new, the, the beginning where he spoke and it was, but the new beginning where he sends his son so we can live. Jesus, the rock upon which we stand. And if you stand on the rock, God is covering you with his hand. Oh, what a beautiful thought. God's like, I'm going to pass you by. And as I pass by humanity, as long as you stand on a rock that is near me, I'm going to cover you. That's a beautiful picture of salvation. There's the whole gospel right there. God has made a place upon a rock that we can stand that he will cover us as his glory passes us by. This morning as we gather in this room, standing upon the solid rock of Jesus, I believe that the goodness of God is in this place. God's goodness passing us by and his covering, making atonement for us. We are safe in his hands. That just gets me excited. It got me so excited that as I was riding in on my moped this morning, I was worshiping Jesus. I had worship music in my helmet and you only take one, one handle for the throttle and I just opened that baby up the whole way. So my whole way here, I, my other hand was raised. I was worshiping God. I was praying in the spirit. I was the crazy guy worshiping down Main Street early this morning as I made my way. Why? Because I'm coming to meet with Jesus. I'm standing upon a rock that is near to God and as his goodness passes me by, he is revealing his name to me. He's giving me an understanding of who he is. And the revelation of the goodness of God changes everything. Here's what, what I want you to, to get today. Goodness is godliness. If God's glory is his goodness, then us walking in goodness is to live in godliness. I've had the fruit of the Spirit memorized my whole life. I don't remember learning them. I just always remember knowing them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't like when a new translation comes out and they start changing around forbearance, long-suffering. Take a walk. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One of the translations puts them in a different order. That translation can just go take a, take a little time out because that's the way I know them. I've known them all, but I'll be honest. This one right here, Probably the least significant and perhaps the least impactful in my life throughout the majority of it. Goodness, ah, just be a good boy. Is that what we're talking about? Just perform well? Yeah, okay, cool. I got to work on love though and joy. I'm going to have to really focus on joy. Peace is hard when things are, are, are kind of chaotic and patience is just always hard. Never gets easier the longer I wait for it. You know, self-control, I'm reminded when I'm tempted. Goodness whew, just kind of gets forgotten. In fact, some commentarians, they go, yeah, there's nine, but come on. There's kind of eight. I was reading a commentary earlier this week, and they're like, kindness and goodness are basically the same. Goodness just also includes generosity. You know, basically the same. Just shuffle it in there. No, 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 no. Let's put a, let's put a spotlight on it today. Goodness is godliness. To live in goodness is to react and respond the way God reacts and responds. To live in goodness is to reflect the glory of God. I don't want to skim past goodness. Goodness is, is the call to those who believe. So let me tell you a few things about, about goodness as it pertains to, to you and I goodness in the nature of God. Here, here's some of the things you need to know. Goodness is for your advantage. God's goodness is an advantage to you and I. Look at what it says in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 25, describing the goodness of God and the way it is an advantage to you and I. Nehemiah is describing how God's people had experienced his goodness after following Moses into the place he would lead them. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, they captured fortified cities and fertile lands. They took possessions of houses, filled them with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate till they're full, they were well nourished, and they reveled in your great goodness. The goodness of God is to our advantage. This is an incredibly descriptive picture of how unfair God's goodness is. 
When God moves on our behalf, we, we enjoy fruit we did not plant. We eat till we are full of something we didn't, we didn't have to pay for, we didn't make preparation for. We show up to a house that's already built. I mean, the goodness of God is to our advantage. When we get a revelation of God's goodness, we are getting a revelation of the fact that he's on our side and God on our side really positions us pretty well. God's goodness is for our advantage. And so God showing his goodness to you and I ought to begin to show up in our life in a way where we're seeing the marked difference. This is what a life responding to the goodness of God looks like. There is an advantage to God's goodness, and I'm okay with a lack of fairness. How about you? God's, come on, how about you? Okay, why don't we replace yeses, amens, and any other sort of response today with just simply, that's good. Come on, God's goodness is to your advantage. That, that is good, that is good. Not only is God's goodness to your advantage, goodness is exclusive to God. Look what it says in Psalm 16 and verse two. Psalm 16 and verse two, and speaking of the goodness of God, David responds this way. He says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. He goes, I've begun to do an assessment of my life. I've begun to analyze everything that I find to be good. And when it all comes down to it, all the good stuff comes from you. Why don't we do the same? Right now, mentally, think for a moment of all the good things in your life. They all come from God, don't they? You're well, I worked hard for them. Guess where your skills came from? They're the Lord's. Well, you know, I waited patiently for it. Guess where patience comes from? It's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Lord's. Well, I'm just living my life. Guess who in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Life is his, breath is his, existence is his, the whole earth is the Lord's. Like like everything that is good comes from God. Goodness is exclusive to him, and yet we try to find something else to supplement when we don't feel like we have enough goodness going on. When we think like, man, I just need something good happening in my life, we try to make it happen in and of ourselves. Perhaps we need to understand that goodness is exclusive to God. James puts it this way in James 1.17, that every good and perfect gift comes from God, who is the Father of lights in whom there is no turning. Meaning God is only ever doing good. His goodness is such that, that it is to our advantage and it's exclusive to him. I want to get better just closing my eyes, blocking my attention, from things that, that aren't good. I want to do better is what, what Romans says of being excellent at what is good and unmixed and innocent of what is evil so that I can experience the advantage God has for me in my life. Not only is it an advantage, not only is it exclusive to God, but look what it says in Psalm 23 and verse six. It says that goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. That means that God's goodness is pursuing you. That means that, that even when you fail to get yourself in the right place, God's actually following you up with goodness. He, he's following up the, the choices that you make with goodness. This doesn't mean God endorses bad decisions. It means when we make bad decisions, he gives us a way out of them so that we might walk back into obedience. Goodness and mercy are following us. God's goodness is pursuing you. You might feel like it's a while since I've experienced the advantage the Bible speaks of. It's a while since I've seen, uh, you know, a, a description of God giving something exclusive into my life. Well, guess what? It's coming. His goodness is pursuing you. If you are walking with Jesus, then you can anticipate the goodness is coming up behind you. He's coming for you. Come on, turn to the person beside and say, he's coming for you. And when God shows up, he's coming in goodness. He's coming for you. Goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. That's why a few weeks ago we looked at Psalm 27 that says, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So as I wait on the Lord, I'm strong and I'm taking heart. Why? Because I'm going to experience his goodness. 
I'm going to experience his goodness this side of heaven. I'm not just thinking about eternity one day somewhere out there. Like right here, right now, I can anticipate the goodness of God because he's promised that he is pursuing me with it. Not only is God pursuing you with his goodness, check this out. This gets me really excited. Goodness is accumulating. His goodness is growing in strength. It's exponentially growing as it pursues you. Look what it says, uh, Psalm 31 in verse 19. The Bible says this, how abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Oh, how abundant are the good things that God is storing up. With you in mind, he is saving future goodness. He's like, oh, this is gonna be good. They're gonna love this. God's pursuing you with goodness, and as he pursues you, the goodness that's coming your way is getting bigger, and it's getting greater. God wants us to have a revelation, like Moses did, that all his goodness would pass us by as we stand on the rock that is near him, that is Jesus. And as that goodness passes us by, we go, man, that was more than I was expecting. Yeah, I've been storing it up. I've been saving it for you, and I love what the Bible says. He's, he wants to give it to us in the presence of others, that, that in the sight of the world around us, God actually, he gets excited about showing his goodness to you and I. It blesses God when we experience his goodness. Does that get you excited? If it does, you should say that's good. Come on, I've given some pretty easy parameters here, some pretty easy guidelines for how you can get the best out of today's teaching. That's good. The goodness of God that is to our advantage, exclusive to him, is pursuing us, and as it pursues us, it's accumulating. God's goodness is getting better and better on our life as it comes our way. The goodness of God, if you're taking notes, is actually uncontainable. The goodness of God, the Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 33 and verse 5, it says this, the Lord loves righteousness and justice and the earth is full of his goodness. Just think about that for a minute. The earth is full of the goodness of God. His goodness is uncontainable. It means like every corner of this planet, you can experience the goodness of God. It's uncontainable. His goodness is not finite. His goodness is infinite. I'm gonna say something that might shock you just a little bit, okay? Just a little bit, but bear with me. Don't, don't like gasp too loud. Uh, my financial resource is finite. I know it surprises you. I know, I know you're shocked. I have a finite financial resource. In fact, I need like sometimes a really fine, fine pencil to, to, to find it somewhere. It's, it's very finite. So much so that in the natural, if I were to, you know, give some of it away, spend it, or go, I will notice very quickly as what is mine is being depleted. Anyone else feel that way? You're like, well, maybe not my finance, but my energy, it's pretty finite. In that way, I'm, I don't really share. I have, uh, it feels like infinite energy sometimes, and yet I have found the, the, the boundaries of it at times. It's finite. But when it comes to God's goodness, it's infinite. When he gives it away, he's not at all depleted. He's not at all shortchanged. He's not at all lacking. He doesn't have some sort of daily quota. Ooh, sorry, I've already hit my quota of goodness. Uh, that's going to leave you in line in queue for tomorrow. Come back tomorrow when I'm reloaded and recharged with goodness. The, the goodness of God is uncontainable. The whole earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And though it's uncontainable, look what the Bible says. For you and I, when we experience this uncontainable, pursuing, accumulating goodness that comes exclusively from God and is to our advantage, the Bible says in Psalm 65 and verse 4, that it leaves us satisfied. Look at this. Blessed are those you choose and you bring near to live in your courts. They are filled with the good things of your house and your holy temple. They are filled. They're completely satisfied. I now have, as of uh, a Friday, I have four teenage kids, four teenagers at the same time. I also have four not yet teenagers. The teenagers eat more than the not yet teenagers, just kind of the way it is. 
That, that as we're growing and developing, our appetite is in keeping with our, our growth process. The teenagers eat a little more, especially Titus. Titus, like, like for Titus, here's the dumbest question you could ever ask. Hey, Ty, you hungry? He, he's so polite. He's like, yeah, I could eat. <laughs> when what he's feeling is like this ravenous wolf. He's ready to consume anything ever. His younger brothers, they reach much quicker a point where they are full. And they're like, how is Ty still eating? I'm done. I'm full and Ty's just eating. But, but the Bible says this, that when it comes to our goodness or God's goodness, we actually reach a point of satisfaction. We actually reach a, reach a point, this is crazy to think of, where we push away from the table a little bit and we're like, God, honestly, I think this is all I can handle right now. And guess what? I'm gonna have to digest this a little bit before I can have any more. You ever felt that of the goodness of God? You're like, man, I honestly just need to like stop and ponder and digest this a little bit. God's been so good to me. I'm gonna need to do something with this. I'm gonna need to respond in some way to this because I'm so satisfied with the goodness of God. For some, as I say that, it might sound like the most foreign thought. You're like, I can't even really understand what that would be like. I'm believing today before the day's done that, that you will. To be satisfied with the goodness of God in such a way, you're like, I need to do something with this. So let me give you a few suggestions of what you could do with it, okay? Number one, the goodness of God instigates celebration. It instigates praise. Look at this, Psalm 145 and verse seven. Psalm 145 in verse seven, speaking of God's goodness, says this. They celebrate your abundant goodness and they joyfully sing of your righteousness. When we get a revelation of the goodness of God, his goodness that is uh, exclusive to him, that is for our advantage, that is uncontainable, pursuing us and accumulating, and when it hits our life, leaves us satisfied, it instigates praise. One of the ways that we digest the goodness of God and we get the most out of his goodness in our life is we begin to praise him, him back. And his goodness to us starts something in us that, res- that, that the response of which is worship back to him. And the more God shows goodness to our life, the more celebration we have for his goodness. Some people miss out on the full advantage of God's goodness because they feel embarrassed by it. Like, oh, God's been too good to me. Oh, friend, you have no idea. He wasn't depleted at all. And his goodness is accumulating. You better get used to this blessing because there's more where that came from and he's pursuing you with it. We might as well learn to be grateful and praise him. We might as well learn to respond and let it instigate praise in our life instead of leading towards some type of guilt. We're living in the advantage of the goodness of God. Praise God for his goodness. That's one of the ways that we can respond. His goodness started it. As we, we drove, I told you we were on a little road trip. That means 10 of us in an 11-seat vehicle. And because we also need all the, t- the things that 10 people require, the 11th seat is very full. It's not an empty seat. It's a very full seat with stuff. And as we make our way, to be honest, my kids are awesome. They're, they're each other's best friends. But there's a few times, maybe you know, once or twice per road trip, where there's a moment where something's going on in the back, and I, 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 you know, adjust the mirror, and I'm like, hey, what's going on back there? And not often, but sometimes, I'll hear this, well, they started it. We're in a situation now, but I did not start it. As if me not starting it means I'm not responsible for the way that I responded to it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And so all of the responsibility should be on them. Well, guess what? When it comes to God's praise, praising God is instigated by his goodness. He started it. He started it, and he's responsible for where it gets. We might as well respond in kind, because God started it by showing his goodness to us, and in response to his goodness, it's hard to help it. I just kind of got to praise him. His goodness has instigated it in my life. This celebration is pouring out of me, but it's it's not me. He started it. God's goodness started it. Not only does his goodness lead me to uh, instigate praise in my life, but his goodness also leads to more goodness. Look what it says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Is this helpful for you? Come on, is this good? Can you say that's good? Okay, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Here Paul is speaking. 
speaking to the church in Thessalonica, uh, he says this, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love that all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's church, we're boasting about your perseverance and your faith, all the persecutions and the trials that you are enduring. So catch this, growth happens not, not in, in what, what might seem like the prime environment of ease. Growth happens in the real life environment of persecution and trial. The, the fruit of, of godliness in our life, of goodness in our life, is not grown in a laboratory somewhere, in a sterile environment. Godliness is grown in the midst of trial and persecution. And Paul is speaking now of of. God's evidence in our life. Look at this. It says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. Can someone say God is just? This is speaking of God's goodness. He's good. The other way you can say it is God is good. And his goodness is such that he, he blesses belief in him. And in his patience, he is, uh, he is pushing off that day. But there will come a day where he returns to judge a lack of belief in him. Look what it says, God is just, he'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and he will give relief to you as you are troubled as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On that day, when he comes to be glorified in his holy people, and listen, to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you, because you've believed in our testimony. Now, this is what I want you to catch, verse 11. By the way, that passage right there is one of the reasons why if someone says, do you believe hell exists? I'm like, well, I can't believe the Bible and believe it doesn't. It exists. There is an eternal separation uh, from those who do not believe and an eternal unity with God for those who do. Why? Because he's good. His goodness requires that there is this type of response. His goodness and his holiness are, are completely compatible. They're not separable. Look what it says in verse 11. It says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Check this out. Not only does goodness instigate praise in my life, but goodness begins to develop a desire in me to do something. I have this desire to work for the Lord. I have this desire to live like God. I'm so excited for the goodness he's shown to me, but his goodness, I'm not intended to be the end recipient. I'm supposed to be a reflector that continues to live in, in, in kind. And so Paul says, I'm just praying for you that every desire that comes from goodness would be, would be brought to fruition. So you begin to desire more and more goodness as God reveals his goodness to us. That's why in Ephesians it could say that, that we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I got a whole bunch else, but hey, 749. I've edited out about 740 passages, but I am gonna give you a few more. A few more. Because here's a, 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 a reality check. I don't wanna just preach one side of this. Go, Whoa, God's goodness, it's gonna be good. Living good in a good life is tiring. It's easier to not do what's good. That's why in Galatians 6 and 9, Paul could say this, guys, don't grow weary in doing what is good because at just the right time, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Why would he say that if, if doing what was godly just was the thing that came natural to us, then it was easy? In fact, the Bible says this, no one's good, not one, nobody. My default settings are not good. Like, like me, at, at my normal level of homeostasis, just being the guy that I feel like I'm meant to be, I'm not good. There, there, there is sin that I battle against. It's easier in the moment to give way to that. Godliness is tiring. 
Thank God that it's, you know, uncontainable and pursuing me and accumulating and to my advantage. Thank God for his grace and mercy that his goodness is not linked to my performance. If it were, I would be apart from the goodness of God, but according to his, his plan and his purpose, he is showing goodness in my life. But goodness is tiring. Not only is it tiring, goodness leads to suffering. It's tiring and it's hard. Look, look what, what Peter says. Check this out in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Is this okay? You doing all right? Come on, are you doing okay? 1 Peter chapter 3. He says this, verse 17, 17 of 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, hey, it is better if you suffer for God's will for doing good than for doing evil. In other words, life involves suffering. Both good and evil will lead to some suffering. It's better to suffer for good than for evil. You might be gauging what is good based on, on the, the instantaneous results. You're like, well, I was trying to do what was good, but I don't see any good results. Well, don't grow tired in doing good, and don't let suffering scare you off. The truth is good and evil both lead to suffering. The suffering caused by evil we get to push off a little bit, but it's eternal. The suffering that caused by good, we have to experience now, but it's short-lived. So it's good for us to have short-lived suffering with eternal blessing rather than short-lived blessing followed by eternal suffering. Doing what is godly is hard, it's tiring, and it does lead to some suffering. So how do we respond? As the team comes back, let me give you uh, three thoughts, three thoughts for us this week, three thoughts of how we can grow in godliness. If godliness is worth suffering for, in, in 1 Timothy 6, it says it counts for something. That gets me excited. I'm going to suffer for it, but it's counting for something. My good deeds are accumulating as well. Just as God's goodness is accumulating to be poured out in my life, when I do what is good, I am storing up for myself treasure in heaven. So what can, I, what can I do? Here's three things. Number one, taste and see that the Lord is good. Take a taste. In Psalm 34, 8, that's what it, it commands us to do. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You might say, you know, I haven't developed an appetite for the goodness of God. I don't have a craving to do what is good. To be honest, if anything, I kind of have a craving to do what's wrong. Welcome to life. But you and I, we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amongst my group of friends, I tend to be a more adventurous eater. Anybody else? I love trying new foods. I love going to new places. I've, I've, I've never been on a street that I don't want to try its meat, street meat. I, lo- I love vendor food. I love sit-down restaurants. I love holes in the wall. I like trying new things, and, and because there would be some in, in my circle of friends maybe a little less adventurous, they're happy for me to take the first bite. And when I do, the response says something, doesn't it? You try something new, and you're like, oh, oh wow. Talking through the bite, it's the only time it's really excusable to talk with your mouthful. Oh, this is good. This is really good. The Bible says this. That, that, that God is, he, let's say, he's so unintimidated by us that he's like, oh, you can just taste. You can give it a try. In Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 55, God says this, he's prepared for us food and you can come and just buy it without money. He's like, come into the store, just try stuff. It's all free. God wants us to taste and see that it, he is good. So what would that look like? Well, maybe for you, you typically listen to worship but don't sing along. Try singing along. Try, try following up your internal convictions with the confession of your mouth. See what happens. Maybe for you, you never read the Bible. Try reading the Bible. You might just find that as it promises to do, it'll speak to you. Maybe you have no Christian community. Try making a Christian friend. Who knows? Could just be that God blesses your life through that type of relationship. Maybe you've never served in the house of God and, and you hear the Bible, it says, better is one day in, in the house of God than a thousand elsewhere. You're like, I don't know about that. Try. Try serving in the house of God. Maybe you've never exercised 
your gifts or, or stretched yourself in a spiritual dis- discipline, whatever it is, take a taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What you're going to find is not only will it affect you and you'll begin to develop a craving to do what is good, but it'll also affect others. And that brings me to my second point. Second thing we should do is we should find ways to spur one another on to what is good. That's what it says in Hebrews 13, 16. It says, gather together, don't, don't be separated from one another. Let us gather together and, and consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Make it your goal to help the people in your life do what is good. As the goodness of God is changing your perspective and changing your life, as you're tasting and seeing that is good, find ways to challenge the people in your life as well. Spur one another on towards love and good deed. Make it your goal. Scheme and plan and, and, and get, get a vision for how you can bless the people in your life and push them to do what is good. And then thirdly, lastly, in 3 John verse 11, it says this, 3 John Verse 11, with this I close. I told you I'm in a teaching mood today. I told you we're going to be all over the Bible. If you're a note taker, you got a whole bunch of notes. Look at 3 John chapter 11. It says, dear friends, do not imitate what is evil. Imitate what is good. I love that the bar is set so low that God says this, even if you don't know what good would look like, Find what is good and follow that. It says this, anyone who does what is good knows God. And anyone who does what is evil does not see God. So I want to challenge you. Make decisions in your life to model your life after goodness. Make decisions in your life that the biggest influences are those who are doing what is good. And you say, I don't know what goodness would do now. Find someone who does, follow what they do. That's going to help you understand the goodness of God. His uncontainable, pursuing, accumulating goodness that's for our advantage and leaves us satisfied, that leaves us responding in praise, responding in good works, overcoming tiredness and suffering. That goodness is findable. Taste and see that He is good. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds imitate those who are good. Why don't we stand up on our feet? Let me pray with you. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. As you pass us by today, may we see it in its fullness. May we understand the revelation of your goodness. And as you reveal yourself to us, I pray, God, that we would have a craving and a hunger and a thirst and a desire to do what is good in your name. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today and you've never put your trust in God, let me lead in a prayer, a really simple prayer. From right where you are, you could pray this prayer and respond to the goodness of God. Why don't we all pray it in faith? Dear Jesus, today I recognize that you are good and that your mercy endures. And so I repent of my sin and I receive your grace. Help me to walk in response to your goodness. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's, let's sing this song together. You're already up on your feet. Let's taste and see that he is good. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.